Welcome to the Sunday Message Podcast of Bethany Church in Fresno, California. We hope this message will encourage and equip you as you grow in the grace and knowledge of Jesus Christ. If today's message helps you, share it with a friend. If you would like to know more about the ministry of Bethany Church, please reach out on Facebook or at BethanyChurchFresno.com. And now, here's this week's message. Pastor Brian asked me to share with you guys today, so thank you for letting me be here. It's a great privilege. I was here a few months ago as well, and it's great to be back. Christy and the worship team this morning, they asked me for a fun fact. Hit me right on the spur of the moment. I thought, well, oh gosh, fun fact. I don't know. First thing I thought of, of when I was a kid growing up, my father was six foot four, and I just thought it would be so cool if I could be a little taller than my dad. And I beat him by one inch. But I didn't know within the process of doing that, I was going to get size 14 shoes. So I have a broad understanding. <clears throat> My daughter asked me if I was going to embarrass her today. And I said, well, not directly, but probably indirectly. Dad jokes. Aren't they great? Well, uh, Pastor Brian says you guys are in a series called Faithful, Faithfulness. And we're talking about more about that today. Faithful in Scripture today. Home, sweet home. Be it ever so humble, there's no place like home. Have you heard that phrase before? Now, I don't know if you live in a tiny house or you just have you know one bedroom in the house or one bed in the bedroom, <laughs> you share your bedroom, or you live in a mansion. I don't know, but it's your abode, and be it ever so humble, there's no place like home. What would you say if... You know, you, you take your, your dwelling space, whatever it is, and you've, you've decorated, maybe a dorm room or something, I don't know, and you've decorated it the way you want to, you arrange the furniture, you've put some thought into it. A little over a year ago, we moved into a different house, and you know, of course, furniture has to fit, and you try it over here that doesn't work for a while, then you move it around, oh, furniture moving, right? <laughs> well, what would you say, you get it all settled in, and you're enjoying your space, and some stranger comes into your house, not to steal anything, but to rearrange the furniture. Oh, and let's repaint the walls because they want it to be to their liking. And then, and then they help themselves to the refrigerator and the pantry. And they just make themselves at home and they've totally, totally rechanged your entire living space, your entire world. You say, that, that, that's crazy. Get out of here. Don't do that. Well, that's kind of sometimes how we treat God when it comes to his word. Oh, I don't like the way that sits. I don't like the way that looks. And so I'll do it. I'll rearrange it, you know, to, to fit my likes, right? Sometimes we do that as human beings. Or guys, you've got your garage or your shop, you know, you've set up or your office space or whatever it is. And if somebody were to come in and just ruin it uh, and make the way you want it, saying, we do that with God all the time. We want to rearrange what he says to us because it doesn't fit uh, our, our living space, the way we like it to be. Well, into this confusion, God's word speaks to us in very direct ways. Now, we asked the question, in fact, far back as Pilate, who asked the question in front of Jesus, he said, what is truth? Well, what is truth? And today, that's very debatable. You know, there's a lot of people that say there's no such thing as absolute truth. You know, what, what's true for you or, or for this group of people is not necessarily true for this person or this group of people. You know, you can have your truth and we can have the, our truth. And, you know, there's no such thing as absolute truth. Have you heard something along those lines? You know, today we call it pluralism. I don't know what they called it back in Paul's day, but it's really been with us for a long time uh, as well. 
But let me tell you, if you can, if you can, can you identify what's wrong with this statement I'm going to give you? There are no absolutes. There's nothing you can say is totally true for all people of all time in all places. That's what our world tells us, right? Well, truth is relative is what the world tells us. So to say there are no absolutes, can you see what's wrong with that statement? It's an absolute. Yeah, exactly. It's an absolute. It doesn't even hold up to its own statement. You know, it's on, on the surface. It's crazy and it's silly. Let me give you some examples of things that are absolutely true. How many of you have ever flown on an airplane? Probably most of us. Flown on an airplane. Well, when they fuel up that jet airliner, do you think it matters what fuel they use in the fuel in the jetliner? Yeah, are they, are they pretty narrow-minded about what kind of fuel they put in the jetliner? Yeah, they're pretty narrow-minded about it, aren't they? When you get paid, and whether you, you know, take a paper check to the bank, or do it through your mobile phone, or, or you get direct deposit, whatever it is, do, do you care about what account numbers are used to make sure it gets in your account? Yeah, you're pretty, you're pretty absolute about that account number, aren't you? Yeah. Um, you go to the pharmacy and you want to fill a prescription. You need a medication. Well, if the pharmacist said, well, you know, there are no absolute prescriptions. It's whatever is true for me. I, I, I take this one medicine instead. Here, you can have the one I take. You're, you're pretty absolute, aren't you? So, yes, there are absolutes in life. And how silly, how foolish of us to think that when it comes to spiritual matters, there are no absolutes. It doesn't matter Everyone can just believe whatever you want to believe. There are absolutes, and we wouldn't want to be faithful to those things. A lot of people say, oh, well, just teach love, Pastor. Just, just, just teach love, you know. Well, any parent knows that real love has boundaries, right? Any parent knows that real love is discerning. There's right and wrong. There's a hot stove and a cold stove. And we want to learn, bless you, we want to learn uh, the difference on that. So this topic is not just for pastors, it's not just for seminary people, it's for everyday folks, it's for all of us, because we all need to be able to identify what's true and what's false, right? What's true and what's false. We all need to know what the gospel is, we all need to know what spiritual maturity is and Christian character is. Why is this, why is this topic important? Because as you think, that is what you will do. Here's, here's case in point. If I could convince you right now, that this building was on fire. If, say we got some smoke machines and started pouring in smoke from over there and somebody pulled the fire alarm. If there's fire, quick, everybody out, you would probably go out. I mean, why would you disbelieve me, right? I've been so honest to you here now for five minutes. But if you believe the building was on fire, you would leave. But it was smoke and mirrors. We fooled you. <laughs> you know, and you wouldn't be very happy about that. That's happening all the time. It comes through in our advertising. It comes through in movies. It comes through in songs. It comes through pop culture. It comes through the news. There's all, all kinds of ways that we are, we're bombarded with all kinds of things to believe. You know, and it's very important because whatever we believe, that's the way that we tend to go, right? So today we're talking about being faithful in Scripture. Faithful in Scripture. So I start off with this question. What is Scripture? Let's start there. What is scripture? You might write this down. 2 Timothy 3.16. 2 Timothy 3.16 says this. All scripture, whatever scripture is inspired by God, 
In fact, you might want to write that down. Scripture is inspired by God. It's, it's literally God breathed. It's, it's the words of God and is useful to teach us what is true and to make us realize what is wrong in our lives. It corrects us when we are wrong and teaches us to do what is right. So there we have it. What, whatever is scripture, scripture is from God. Scripture comes from God. Scripture was not made up by people. Like for, I'm, I'm just looking at it like this. People are down here. God is up here. People did not create whatever is going to be called scripture. Scripture was revealed from God down to us. It's inspired. It's the breath of God to us. That's what the Bible is to us. So if it's scripture, it's from God. There are certain tests for that, and it carries a certain authority with that. And if it's from God, then we'd better obey it, right? If God has told us what is true, if God has told us how to live, best way to live life and and to get to know him, we should obey that. If it's scripture, it's also going to be useful in our lives. And if it is scripture, well, then we should be faithful to it, right? Faithful to it. So I'm here to tell you, the Bible is scripture. The 66 individual books that make up one book is is the Bible. And we have that as scripture. All scripture, all of this is inspired by God, right? And it's profitable for teaching, reproof, and correction and all those things. So let's turn to a section of it that deals with the importance of staying faithful to the scripture. If you would turn, please, to the book of 1 Timothy Paul wrote a couple of books to a young pastor named Timothy. So 1 Timothy chapter 1, we're going to look at. And this comes with some warnings and some things to watch out for and some things to do and how it's helpful to us. So if you would find your way to 1 Timothy chapter 1, and we're going to read the first 11 verses there with that. It's written by Paul. It says, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the command of God, our Savior, and of Christ Jesus, our hope. To Timothy, my true son in the faith, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus, our Lord. Verse 3, as I urged you when I went into Macedonia, stay there in Ephesus so that you may command certain men not to teach false doctrines any longer, nor to devote themselves to myths and endless genealogies. These promote controversies rather than God's work, which is by faith. The goal of this command is love, which comes from a pure heart and a good conscience and a sincere faith. Some have wandered away from these and turned to meaningless talk. They want to be teachers of the law, but they do not know what they're talking about or what they so confidently affirm. We know that the law is good if one uses it properly. We also know that law is made not for the righteous, but for lawbreakers and rebels, the ungodly and sinful, the unholy and irreligious, for those who kill their fathers or mothers, for murderers, for adulterers and perverts, for slave traders and liars and perjurers, and lions and monkeys and, what's that phrase called? I don't know. And for whatever else is contrary to the sound doctrine that conforms to the glorious gospel of the blessed God which he entrusted to me. All right, let's pick this apart a little bit. First of all, this passage comes with a warning. It comes with a warning label on it, if you would. And it's in verse 6. He talks about meaningless talk at the end of verse 6. People who have wandered away from Scripture, from truth, have turned to meaningless talk. Now, I don't know about you, but the last thing 
I want for my life is for my life to be meaningless. You want your life to be meaningless? I think everybody wants their life to be meaningful and to have purpose. You want to know why you're here. You want your life to count. When your life is done, you will have hoped that you made an impact on this world, on some, at least a few other people. Everybody wants their life to know that it's meaningful. It's not meaningless. And Paul here, by the Holy Spirit, is telling us that faithfulness to the Scripture will bring a meaningful life. And if we abandon the Scripture, it can lead to a more meaningless life. So, how can we be faithful to Scripture? Now we know what Scripture is. We know the warning of of not following Scripture. How can we be faithful in Scripture? Well, this passage answers that for us. And here's point number one. If you have somebody to write down with, I encourage you to do this. Number one, first of all, identify false Bible teaching. That's a good place to start. Let's identify what's false. We don't want to go down that road. And he talks about it here in a couple of different verses, three and four. I urged you, uh, stay in Ephesus. Command not to teach false doctrines any longer. Not, don't devote themselves to myths and genealogies and so on. It just promotes controversy, as it were, right? Do you know, how, how do cult leaders get noticed? You know, we hear once in a while in the news, some cult has started up and usually ends very badly for everybody involved. How do cult leaders gain a following and get started, get noticed? Well, usually it's by preaching or teaching something new. You know, something novel. So I'm revealing a mystery to you that nobody else has had the insights to. Because if you just preach the same old gospel truth from year to year, it's like, that's not novel. That's not new. And, and it's, <laughs> it's the, the cult leader has to come up with something different to attract people their way. So be very careful. That's why it's so important that you know this first. Maybe you've heard the illustration before, but in, I've heard told that in the FBI, they teach agents to identify counterfeit money. They never see counterfeit money during the training. They're only seeing, they're only shown the real thing over and over and over and over and over and over. All the little details go into it, the paper and the ink and the markings and everything. Because once you know the truth, you can identify the false. There's a thousand ways to counterfeit a bill. There's only one way to do it right. And that's true in Scripture. So the more we're faithful to Scripture, we'll be able to identify false teachers, false teachings, as it were. It's interesting, over the years, I, I used to think when I was younger, false teachers were very easy to spot because they just taught false things. <laughs> you know, they taught false doctrine. And eventually you could figure that out. And that is one form of, of false teachers. They teach things that are wrong that don't line up with scripture. But I've learned over the years there's a second type of false teacher, and that's a person who has all the right doctrine. They say all the right things, but they live a false lifestyle. They don't follow Christ. They're doing it maybe for selfish purposes or or self-deceived purposes or whatever the case may be. So you can have somebody who's teaching false things. That's false teaching. Or they might be teaching true, but but their lifestyle doesn't add up to that. Both, both can be uh, fa- false teachers. So you have, there's a lot, a lot of um, conversation these days about fake news. And, and uh, sometimes when it comes to teaching, there's fake doctrine. There's fake teaching out there to watch out for. But then it can also be fake people uh, as well. Either way you go, it ends up, like it says in verse 6, with meaningless talk. Meaningless talk. 
And that's why, you know, Jesus, um, I don't know if you know this or not, realize this, but, you know, Jesus had brothers and sisters on planet Earth. You can see it in the book of Matthew. Jesus was first born to Mary and Joseph. He was conceived by the Holy Spirit through the virgin birth. But then later on, Mary and Joseph had other children. One of those children was Jude, and he wrote a little book called Jude after his name. And in Jude 1 verse 3, he said this, Jude said, writing to the believers, he said, I felt compelled to write and urge you to contend for the faith that was once for all entrusted to God's holy people. He said, I I just, I I was compelled. I had to write to you about our faith and to contend for the faith. I want you to contend for the, so in Jude's mind, early in the, even in the first century, there was a body of faith, of truth, of doctrine, if you would, of beliefs that the early followers adhered to and that Jesus had taught them and that the Holy Spirit had revealed to them. And he says, I want you to contend for that. There is a, but now it's, now it's been collected in Jude's day. It hadn't all been collected yet into the Bible. We know it today, but there is, this is the faith. This is the faith. You take it collectively. It fits together. All points point to Jesus and, and this is the faith that we're to contend for. And then he says, this faith now has once and for all been given to God's holy people. So that means we're not adding to what the apostles said. We're not adding to what the apostles, the early followers of Jesus wrote down. Okay. That's where this faith has been entrusted and then to, to the apostles, the people who follow them, follow them for thousands of years. And now today we have the faith entrusted to us, entrusted to us. So the Bible helps us in so many ways. First of all, the Bible helps us to contend with the culture. Have you noticed we have a culture that doesn't necessarily line up with this? Maybe you've noticed. Um, Or it can also help us, the Bible also helps us deal with our conscience as well, right? When when we step out of line, the Bible can help us and teaches us what is right. And the Bible helps us to contend publicly. It also helps us to contend privately, personally, uh, in our own hearts as well. If we go beyond scripture, we can run into meaningless, fruitless discussions. I mean, what is your standard? I mean, th- this is the standard of truth. This is the standard of knowing how to know God, what God is like, how he wants us to live, uh, how to have forgiveness of our sins, how to make life purposeful and meaningful. This is the standard to do it all by. Now, now when I say all this, I'm not saying that the Bible is the only book to read. I guess not what I'm saying, not what I'm saying at all. But it is the only book by which we know spiritual truth. Because, why? Because all scripture is inspired by God. This is scripture. It's inspired by God. And there are certain tests that, you know, you can use on that. That's another time. I think in the alpha class that was advertised up here earlier, I think they get into that in that class. Um, good stuff to learn and get into that. Well, <clears throat> We want to identify false teachers because you don't want to uh, be under under false beliefs, okay? False beliefs. So that's the first thing to do is to identify false teaching. Real quick in verse 4, how do we identify false teachers? Well, they promote controversy versus confidence. Verse 4, they devote themselves to myths and endless genealogies. These promote controversies. You know, they whatever you, whatever topic you want to talk about. You know, just watch some of the talk shows on TV and radio talk shows. They have, boy, do they have opinions. <laughs> have you noticed? They have opinions on that. And they love to promote controversies as well. There are books out today, like something called Lost Books of the Bible. 
Well, that conversation really is meaningless because at the end of the day, it's, it's they said, you said, and who knows. Whereas this is, you know, this is God says, uh, as it is. In verses 9 and 10, he calls them lawbreakers. Uh, Paul later in his second book that he would write to Timothy in 2 Timothy 3, 7, he says, these people are always learning but never able to come to a knowledge of the truth. Boy, that defines a lot of our culture, doesn't it? Always learning but never able to come to a knowledge of the truth. So real quick, here are some signs of false teachers. Just real quick. Verse 4, they focus on non-essentials. That's what he said. They devote themselves to myths and endless genealogies. What's the point of that? (laughs) Is that really, that's not helpful. As opposed to focusing on Christ, focusing on the Bible, focusing on character transformation and winning the lost. The second thing they focus on is that they've, or you can tell, identify false teachers is because they've lost their spiritual bearings. They've lost their spiritual bearings. Look at verse 6. Some have wandered away from these these things, these good things, and they've turned to meaningless talk. They've wandered away. Uh, I just started reading this book here recently called The Anatomy of Deconversion. The Anatomy of Deconversion. It's how people, when we become Christians, when we come to Christ, we sometimes are called converting to Christianity. You become a convert to Christ. These are deconversion stories. People who have walked away from, they, they knew Christ, at least they said they did. And, and there's a book in here now, a lot of books actually been re- written recently about people leaving the faith and how, how broad spread that is in our day to day. So, uh, these false teachers teach, focus on non-essentials. They've lost their bearings. They've lost their, their moorings. Maybe that's a better word to use. Lost their moorings, their anchor, uh, as it were. And, and the result is meaningless conversation, and so they end up in verse 7 with self-promotion. This says, verse seven, they want to be teachers of the law. I kind of picture people like, um, like, uh, players on, on the bench on the basketball team or, or, uh, um, actors in the, in the offstage, and they're going, pick me, pick me, pick me. You know, they want to be teachers of the law, but they really don't know what they're talking about. And then verse 7 also says they become dogmatic about it. They don't know what they are talking about or what they so confidently affirm, confidently affirm. So those are some ways to identify false teaching, false teachers, as it were. And then because that's why Paul said, I urge you, Timothy, to command certain people not to teach false doctrines nor endless speculations. All right. Just give them the word. Martin Luther the uh, reformer back in the 1500s said this, preach peace if possible, but truth at any price. Mm, that's true. Peace if, peace if possible, but truth at any price. So we want to stay faithful in Scripture because it helps us identify what's false, what doesn't fit the template uh, of truth and life, okay? So in stark contrast to that, the second thing we want to do then is to identify true Bible teaching. True Bible teaching. Look at verse 5. This is one of the great verses of the Bible. The goal of this command is love, which comes from a pure heart and a good conscience and a sincere faith. The goal of Bible teaching is not knowledge, although a lot of people seem to think that's the goal, the end goal. You know, to fill up my brain, to fill up my binders, to fill up my bookcase. And, and there was a season in my life where that was, that was where I was headed. That, that was what I lived for. I wanted all this, I had all these questions and I wanted all these answers. And, and I, I amassed a big library and, 
And I focused on getting answers to not only my questions, but other people's questions. And, and I could debate with people and, and argue with people and convince people. And it's like, Paul says, no, the, the goal of our instruction is love. Love. Love is not focused on division or speculation or misdirection, but rather on transformation. Transformation. Jesus came into my life when I was six years old. I was in church with my mom and dad and my older sister. And uh, just whatever the preacher was saying just convinced me that I needed Jesus in my life. And I came running. They had altar calls in those days. And I came running down the the aisle. My father told me later, he said he almost had to run with me to catch up to me. And uh, and that transformed. It began a a season, a lifelong season of transforming my thinking, my choices, my character. And I still got a long way to go. But that's how we begin the process. Uh, So Jesus says to us in Matthew 22, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength and love your neighbor as yourself. And I had gone through a season in my life where I was just trying to amass all these facts and information so that I could convince other people that think like I did and believe like I did. And and God says, the goal of our instruction is love. Well, I tell you, it's a lot easier to amass, to, to change my brain than to change my heart, I've noticed. I can think the right thoughts, but I have a harder time doing the right things. Maybe you have that way true. I can buy into the what they tell me to believe, but I have a harder time letting Jesus change my heart. Because I'm still, I'm still full of sin, and I'm a sinner through and through. So the goal is not to focus on controversies, controversial stuff. The goal is not to focus on camps or divisions. In uh, John chapter 13, Jesus says, by, by this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. So the goal of instruction, the goal of staying faithful to the Bible is love for one another. But love does not just produce itself. Paul tells it right here in this verse where it comes from. Three things, a pure heart, a good conscience, and a sincere faith. So let's examine those just real quick. First of all, love comes from a pure heart. What does he mean by that? Way earlier in the Old Testament, in Psalm 24, the Bible says, Who may ascend to the mountain of the Lord? Who may stand in God's holy place? The one who has clean hands and a pure heart. Now, I don't know about you, but I'm in trouble. I don't have clean hands and a pure heart on my own, and neither do you. That's why we need Jesus. Some of the songs that we sang talked about that, how Jesus cleanses us. What does the Bible say? If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to cleanse us of our sins and to purify us, right? So Jesus can purify the heart from gossip or pornography or greed or adultery or lying or unforgiveness or stealing or murder or betrayal, whatever it is. And that's that's good news because now there's hope. If being in God's presence, like it says that you know the mountain of the Lord, the standing God's holy place, the presence of the presence of God, being in the presence of God means clean hands and pure heart. None of us are going to get there, but Jesus cleanses us from all unrighteousness. When we buy into him, we have faith in him. That's what it's all about. That's the gospel. So love comes from a pure heart. Secondly, love comes from a good conscience. 
A good conscience. You, you know what your conscience is, right? It's your moral monitor. It's your moral monitor. That's what a conscience is, your moral monitor. Now, you might have an overly sensitive conscience. You might have a seared conscience where nothing bothers you. <laughs> it's the Bible that helps develop the conscience to know what really is right and what really is wrong. Because you'll be hit from all sides of, you know, well, this is right and this is wrong. You have to think like this and not think like this and do this and not do this. How, how do you know what to Right here. This will develop your moral monitor. This will tell you what's right and what's wrong, what to accept and what to reject. All right? So we stay faithful to that. will help us to do that. And from that, love comes out because we recognize that we love one another because I know I could never get to God's presence apart from Jesus. I just have to look in the mirror to see how gracious God is. He, he forgives me? Well, I'll, I'll forgive others, right? And, and then, then I know how to help others too because of that. Ephesians 5.26, the Bible says, uh, God wants to make you holy and clean, washed by the cleansing of God's word. Washed by the cleansing of God's word. So if you have dragged your mind through the mud, wash it with the word. This will wash your mind, wash your brain. It's how you scrub, scrub your brain uh, in doing that. And then it says, lastly, love comes from a sincere faith. A sincere faith. Our word, the word sincere, English word sincere, the original word in the original language had something to do out of the world of pottery, of making uh, pot, pots and things, clay pots. The uh, potter would form that, and a good, uh, sincere pot uh, was one that was whole and had no cracks in it. An insincere pot was one that had a crack in it, and then the maker would put candle wax in, in, to fill the crack, and then they put a glaze over it, you know, to try to hide the crack. So a wise buyer would take the pot, hold it up to the sun, and that would reveal any cracks in the pottery. And that was, if they did not have any cracks, that was a sincere pot. If it had cracks, that was an insincere pot. And today we just call it a crack pot. So be faithful in scripture because it'll help you identify false teaching, identify true Bible teaching, and then lastly, help you use the Bible correctly. Staying faithful to it. So, okay, what practical purpose does this have? You need to stay faithful in the word in order to live it out correctly. What is the proper use of the Bible? Well, let's put it this way. Uh, in Galatians 3.24, the Bible says the law, all that you know, God has to say here about how to know him, the law has become our tutor to lead us to Christ so that we might be justified by faith. Well, how did the law, how, does, how did God's word, God's word lead us to Christ? Um, it's very simple. The Bible tells us what sin is. It tells us what missing the mark. Sin comes from the word sin comes from archery, the world of archery and and the idea of a target and missing the mark. If you miss the mark, it was called harmatia. You miss the mark. That's sin, missing the mark. Well, we miss the mark all the time. How do we know what the mark is? Because the mark is right here. It tells us how impossible it is to live up to the mark apart from Jesus Christ. All right. So it tells us what sin is. It also tells us what righteousness is. In other words, the Bible tells us what's in the bullseye. What is the bullseye? Now I know the bullseye because I know the scripture. That's how that works. And it also shows us the price of sin and the price of redemption from sin. The price of redemption from sin. 
was the death of Jesus Christ and his blood shed on the cross for us. That was the price. The Bible tells us all these things. Very important. So let me ask you some very personal questions. Now, I'm going to ask you some questions, and I don't want you to answer these out loud, okay? <laughs> Just uh, answer them in your own heart. Have you ever lied? You ever told a lie? Ever, even when you were a little kid, maybe? Have you ever told a lie? Well, if you've told a lie, if you told a lie, what does that make you? It makes you a liar. Yeah, it makes you a liar. Have you ever stolen anything? Even a paper clip from work? I don't know. Have you ever stolen anything? Well, if you've stolen something, that makes you a thief, not a stealer. It makes you a thief. <laughs> Have you ever looked lustfully at another person? If you have, the Bible says it makes you an adulterer if you just even thought about it. Have you ever cussed, sworn, using God's name in vain? If you have, that Bible says it makes you a blasphemer. How do we know that? Because this says so. Now, would God let a lying, thieving, adulterating blasphemer get into heaven? <laughs> We're all in trouble. None of us count. We've broken four out of the Ten Commandments right there. See, the Bible shows us what's wrong in our lives, and it tells us how to get right with God in our lives as well. And as he says here in verse 10, all this is sound doctrine. Verse 10, uh, whatever is, all these things, people talk things about are contrary to sound doctrine, because sound doctrine, verse 11, conforms to the glorious gospel of the blessed God. There it is. Things, the Bible helps us know what conforms, and what doesn't conform as well. Uh, and somebody wisely said this, in essentials or biblical uh, spiritual essentials, have unity. In non-essentials, have, have charity. Um, but in all things, uh, with all, excuse me, all things charity, all things charity. Now I brought a little something with me, I'm going to end on this. I brought something with me today that uh, we recently came my wife and I recently came into possession of this it's been in her family for I don't know how many years long 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 time and it's been in existence as best I can tell for about 150 years almost 150 years I don't know how well you're going to be able to see it but this is an ancient bible very old bible and it's beautiful and if you could see inside it's got beautiful illustrations in it, and I went digging around in it, and the, and the most recent dating I can find in it is 1876. So it's somewhere in that ballpark, you know. And the reason I bring that out is not just to show you, wow, that's a really cool looking Bible, is to say that the Bible is the foundation for our lives because it tells us what's right, it tells us when we get it wrong. And it tells us how to get back on track with God. That's why we want to be faithful to the scripture. Because it will be faithful to us, no matter what we do. Proverbs 3, three. I'll end with this, says this. Let love and faithfulness never leave you. Bind them around your neck. Write them on the tablet of your heart. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for your word. Because you've given us a sure foundation for us to follow and to hang on to and to pin our lives on and to build our lives upon. Lord, not like the, the shifting sands. <clears throat> Jesus said that you know, there was a man who built his life upon the sand. Uh, really, that was a shifting opinion of, of human, human opinion. 
And instead, when the storms came, his house fell. But there was the man who built his house upon the rock, the firm foundation of the word of God. And when the storms came and the winds blew, his house stood the test of time because it was built upon the rock of your word. And so, Heavenly Father, I pray that right now today we will take the thoughts, the actions, the behaviors, the habits, the choices, the values that we have and where we realize today, oh, I don't line up here with your scripture, with your word. You help us to line up with your word, Lord, I pray, because your word will never fail. It's, it's been the bedrock for thousands of years, and we thank you for giving it to us now. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening. Know that God loves you more than you can imagine. And for everything Bethany Church, check out BethanyChurchFresno.com.